Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to the podcast. It is episode 443. It's March 16th, 2022. Our guest today is Dr. Nicole Chirska. We're going to be talking about uh, a number of things, including the use of lean to help reduce or prevent stress and burnout in the workplace. To learn more about Nicole and her work and to get a free download about preventing stress and burnout, look for links in the show notes or you can go to leanblog.org slash 443. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Again, our guest today is Nicole Chirska. She is a scientist and a positive psychology coach who helps experts and teams in STEM fields do better work. So she works with her clients uh, to improve their collaboration and communication skills so their work gets the momentum and recognition it deserves. Um, Nicole also helps construct ways of working that reduce stress, increase motivation and engagement, and deliver results. So Lean is a part of her experience, and we're going to be talking about all of that today. Um, So before I tell you a little bit more about Nicole, first off, Welcome to the podcast. How, how are you today? I'm good. I'm really glad of spend, spending my Friday evening with you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Nicole, thank you for that. Nicole is joining us from uh, Hamburg, Germany. So it's morning here in Los Angeles, uh, evening in Germany. Uh, Nicole holds a PhD in chemistry, and she's trained in coaching, uh, positive psychology, change management, in advanced problem solving, and, and as her bio says, when she's not buried in research papers and uh, and books, uh, you can find her taking long hikes in the German countryside. That sounds great, and uh, she's or, or she's being mesmerized by Mary Poppins on the screen. So I I have not seen Mary. I I go for hikes. I have not seen Mary Poppins in a long time. Is there a particular song or just the whole Mary Poppins story and film that appeals to you? Uh-huh. It's more her as a character and how she assumes her role. And I take her as a role model for the work that I do with clients um, to, well, not that I can do literal magic, but at least we can try and make things uh, fun and engaging while we work on very serious growth and development and uh, delivering results, but also allowing people to be on their own journey, helping them out as a guide, uh, helping them to reflect and understand, to look at what are we actually doing here, but without dictating to them how things should be done. And, you know, so I could, uh, one day I will write a whole, a whole essay about the leadership <laughs> lessons we can <laughs> we can learn from Mary Poppins. Um, yeah, that sounds fun. That'd be something to look forward to and a, a unique uh, topic uh, to explore. Um, so, you know, Nicole, you know, your background um, and, and your experiences are um, uh, unique, I think, you know, compared to a lot of people who've been on the podcast who are talking about manufacturing or healthcare processes. Um, we're going to have a chance today to talk about, you know, your work in areas like, uh, you know, research and um So I'd like to hear your story. You know, we always ask guests here, you know, how and where, what was the context when you were first introduced to Lean? Yeah. Lean was a, 
how do you say that in English that when when someone has a heart attack and you revitalize them with that electrical shock? Uh, what the, is the the paddles, the um, yeah, yes, yeah. the so shock. It, yeah, it, it was kind of like it felt like that moment of being brought back to life because I was put into a lean working group uh, in the company where I worked after I had a severe case of bore out um, without going into the whole sob story of this. But um, it was for about one and a half years, I was working only to 10% of my capacity in a, uh, in a product research team. And that was towards the end, it was unbearable because I, I do like working and I like adding value and I like being busy and yeah. So that was horrible. And so I went to my HR responsible person and said, look, like this has been going on for too long. I've tried everything in my function to create a change. Nothing is happening. Please give me something to do. There must be other parts in the company where people need help or I really need to go and find something new elsewhere. And at that time in the supply chain area, so I was in science and I had never had anything to do with supply chain before, uh, as it often is when the company has a certain size, you never really get in touch with the other functions. And sure. in that area, they were just starting out um, implementing lean. They had a pilot program where they had brought in Uh, external consultants to familiarize and guide through using the methodology to uh, improve ways of working and processes using those tools. At the same time, they also wanted to um, train the workforce in well, the mindset, in applying the tools, in how useful it can be to just pause and think and uh, look out and use a systematic way of going and improving our uh, our work and so that's where they put me um and i don't know i caught fire <laughs> i can i can be very i can be very enthusiastic about those things but um so i participated in a trainer trainer training so it was the first time i learned about lean in order to then go on and teach to others at the same time um i could work within that pilot program and supply chain doing facilitating the workshops and um yeah because we had those experienced uh, facilitators from outside uh, who were also mentors to me then i started to really see what it can do and businesses often get very excited about the let's say, ROI opportunities of uh, how many hours or how much money we can save, how much we can improve our quality. But what got me was how collaborative and engaging that approach is in terms of really working together. And it's not one know-it-all who dictates how things should be done to all the others, but you really harness the ideas and the efforts from so many people uh, cross-functionally. That's another thing that uh, is commonly known in businesses, that silo thinking is a bit of an issue uh, where you really don't, you know, left hand doesn't know what the right hand does. And working in those lean improvement projects where you really bring all the people together that 
just created a really nice atmosphere. And yeah, um, yeah. and I, I, I was before kind of exploring that a little bit further. I, I was going to go back to what I meant to also share up front at the beginning of the episode. I got sidetracked asking you about Mary Poppins. Um, I was also going to mention in terms of introductions that Nicole is the host of a new podcast called Better Work. And um, Nicole was kind enough to have me on recently as her first guest. So thank you again for doing that, Nicole. Well, thank you for coming on and, you know, not knowing what you get into because it was the first episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes and I hope people uh, will go check out um, Nicole's podcast uh, more, more generally and um, subscribe or follow or, or check that out. And uh, again, there'll be a link in the show notes, Nicole's website, is NicoleCherska.com. And I um, hope people go check that out and learn more about Nicole and her work. So yeah, I think it's interesting to hear um, you know, your story. It sounds like it was a little bit energizing to move across silos from product research into supply chain, new challenges, new opportunity. But then it sounds like that lean piece was even, even more energizing and in, in that style and and you know you mentioned workshops uh, it really mm-hmm. Im- improvement events or sometimes people would call those kaizen events that's that's what you're referring to yeah yeah we had a ton of rapid improvement events typically about a week long at that time in that pilot project in supply chain i went then on to facilitate similar rapid improvement events uh not always a week long sometimes um because a week is a huge commitment for a department or for a business to take people out of the operational business for uh, that long. Um, So I would then go on and facilitate in the laboratory area or in other science and reporting areas, some in finance um, to, even if it's um, two, two and a half days, you can get a lot done. And I guess what resonates with that approach so much for me is, you know, I'm a scientist by training and by heart. I like things being structured and rigorous. Note, it's not rigid, but it is rigorous, you know, being analytical instead of judgmental. And the lean framework or the A3 problem solving, which is really, um, which is the under underlying uh, flow of such a rapid improvement event um, that it is a method and it takes you step by step by step and it prevents you from moving too fast or jumping to conclusions or even jumping at uh, causes that you think are the source of the issue and we spoke about that in our episode when in fact you might you know if you act too hastily or if you just get all caught up in the excitement of trying to find a solution before you first truly understood what the problem is then you might solve the wrong problem so you might have a solution and you spend all of the time but nothing gets any better um, because you didn't solve the right problem so having this methodology having something to Mm, lean on no mm-hmm. pun intended <laughs> but, <laughs> right <laughs> you know and and following this uh, it you have to trust the process and that is what i learned as a scientist in terms of how i do research and how i did product innovation you know new product development in consumer goods 
And this is also what I followed in Lean. It's also what we do in coaching. Uh, you know, when coaching people, you follow a certain process and uh, it gives you a framework, guardrails almost, without being constrictive. So within there is still a lot of freedom. I love how you explained that, that phrase, um, rigorous but not rigid. Like what, what would be an example? I don't know if you ran across this or if you always managed uh, to prevent the lean improvement process from becoming too rigid. Like, can, can you think of an example of, of what would be too rigid? Yeah. So let's see. You start off with your problem statement. You start to do your current state analysis. You start to set your goals. That's all fine. And then typically, if you have a, let's say, typical um, problem. So a problem is whenever the is deviates from the should. Yeah. So, um, and we can't explain why. And then you need to do some digging and you need to do analy analytics in terms of finding the causes. So then you would go into a brainstorming and you would maybe use a fishbone diagram to just capture as many of the contributors or potential contributors to the problem. And then you would pick the most um, impacting ones from them and you would go into doing a 5Y. And uh, then based on that, the root causes you uncover there, you would go into um, developing and testing solutions. So if I would insist on in every project, we have to do a fishbone analysis in every project, we have to do a 5Y, sometimes these tools are not applicable. It's still, it's still valid to have that pre-work to then do some proper analysis, but it doesn't mean that you always have to use those tools. So sometimes doing a situation analysis, as our Kepner Trego teaches it, um, then they that is more appropriate than doing a, you know, those typical other tools. Yeah, I think we have to be careful with, um, you know, always or never. I mean, I, you make some really good, good points. I think part of being rigorous would be never start with a solution statement. Yes. I think that's a fair never. Um, if, if there's such an obvious thing that just needs to be implemented, don't do a Kaizen event. Just go, just go do the thing. That's probably not ideal. I mean, you know, we go and do something, like you said, we need to evaluate and we need to study the effect. Um, did we get the results that we would have predicted? And then if not, you know, adjust accordingly instead of just implementing things and assuming um, that they're good. You know, I think one, one example of, of too rigid, you know, I, I, I quite often have heard people say, uh, you know, you're starting with lean, you should always start with 5S. And I would challenge that, and Nicole raised an eyebrow for those who were just listening, um, and now she's laughing, and that's, I think, because of Zoom, that sound isn't coming through. But, um, I, you know, I think that could be a trap even in manufacturing. I mean, 5S, I would, I'm not saying 5S isn't helpful, but I, I, I don't know if it's, you know, always start with 5S. And I think when then we start moving across into other industries and other settings, if you're working with a finance team or a product research team, I would really then question the, the assertion, always start with 5S. What, what are your thoughts? I agree. Um, 
I would use I would use whatever method is appropriate to, to alleviate the biggest pain that is in front of us now. So maybe in your product innovation team, your shared drive could deserve a 5S mm-hmm. <laughs> workshop, yeah. you know, because uh-huh. nobody can find any files anymore. Everything is everywhere and in duplicates. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so maybe that's worth it. But if the problem or the biggest pain that you have to alleviate right now is finding out why that um, the product formula that works so well in the lab causes a ton of problems when you start to scale it up in the manufacturing environment, then maybe focus on that first. So that's how I would approach it. Yeah, I always think back to uh, you know Taiichi Ono from you know from Toyota. In in his Toyota production system book, there's a chapter that where the header just says, start from need. It's like, what are the needs of the business? What are the needs for flow? You know, you're describing, and I think we'll get to hear more about this, breaking down the silos and the handoffs from research to product development to scaling to production and supply chain. Um, you know, and, and then Ono also said, you know, in that chapter, you know, start with your most pressing needs. So I think, you know, we have to prioritize of all the things that we could go and work on. Um, I, th- I think there is something to be said for prioritizing based on um, customer need, business need, team member needs. Yes, absolutely. The outcome of doing such a work or doing such a project should always be a win for everybody. So win for myself, win for the customer, win for the business. Um, and if it's only for myself or I only do it for the sake of doing it, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we want it to be good uh, for the team members um, for sure. So, you know, I, there are so many connections we can make in, in, in terms of benefits uh, for, for lean and improvement uh, work. Thinking again, you know, to, to the people, to the employees, you mentioned earlier being worn out, burned out in, in your previous role, which is, you know, uh, it happens. It's, 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 it's always sad to hear about. Um, I've, I've felt that at times myself in my career. Um, but you know, you, you've got some thoughts on, on how lean can help address uh, workplace stress and, and burnout, not just recovering from it, but as we, we always talk about preventing harm, preventing defects. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So if you think about any job, and this can be an office role, it can be in a lab, it can be on the shop floor. Every job has aspects to it that either are demands on us. So things that need our sustained effort and energy to cope with them. Mm-hmm. Um, those are what scientists call job demands. And every job has aspects that are resources to us, you know, that help us getting things done, that help us be motivated and engaged. And so there are these two, um, they're not really on a balance, but they are two separate, separate but simultaneously active um, processes within ourselves. And so those job demands, they can can be physical, they can be organizational, 
they can be cognitive or emotional things about the way how our work has to be done or our work environment that um, need our constant energy in order to cope with them and to deal with them. And for example, um, if, if we think about physical, if you work in an environment that is really loud and you can you know that in uh, in, an, in a manufacturing environment when you then have the um, you know protective uh, gear to shield you from the noise but you can also think about that in an open office when you have a bunch of people around you being on calls at the same time and the noise level is just you might not notice it at first but if you have that the whole day it takes you that extra much of effort to concentrate on doing what you're doing or to just listen to whoever is on your phone. Um, so it's things like that, or it can be the amount of work that you have to do, the complexity of your tasks, emotional demands, if you have to deal with difficult stakeholders, you know, if there's problem at handover points in processes or um, upset customers when you work in a call center, um, it can also be other obstacles in about how work is structured. So are roles and responsibilities not clear, for example, or is there a ton of bureaucracy? So all of those things, you know, they happen, they are normal, but they cost us really a lot of effort. And when you pair this with not being able to recover from spending all that energy, then over time you get into a sort of loss spiral because you have to cope and cope and cope with them you have no way to replenish yourself and if you take it to the extreme or if this goes on for too long then this can really result in well raised stress levels it can result in impaired health sleeping problems it is definitely one component of burnout having this complete exhaustion just from having to deal with how work is organized and you probably already heard a number of things where you say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is what where we do, you know, uh, what we address with lean. For example, um, when the workload is too high or if there's a ton of bureaucracy, why do we not have a look at how the process flows? Uh, where is variation coming from that's not necessary? Uh, is all the work that we do truly value adding or could we just skip something? So really using lean tools and the approach or even just the philosophy of really looking for how can we make work better um, in order to feel better. And yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, there are connections between uh, stress, mental stress, emotional stress and physical health. Mm -hmm. So there, there are clear, important connections of not just focusing on uh, acute injuries. Yes. So I think of you know parallels to, to healthcare uh, settings, nurses in a hospital, using your model, they're facing physical demands. Um, there's the, the risk of uh, injury from having to reposition a patient. And let's say if they don't have the proper um, assists and equipment, Mm -hmm. And they're pressured for different reasons, time pressure and different demands. Maybe this is now is some of the cognitive demand, but then they're mm -hmm. pressured into doing the work in an unsafe way. 
there are there's physical injury. There's there's a question around, you know, it's very typical for nurses to work 12-hour shifts, but there's a lot of evidence that shows the number of errors start increasing in the 11th and 12th hours of the shift. So there's there's cognitive overload combined with physical overload of nurses often not being able to take proper breaks. They're on their feet all day. They're racing around. They may have the emotional demands, especially in COVID times of more patients being very sick and dying and mm-hmm. having said, well, okay, well, you need to, you still have work to do, right? There, there, are, there are all these interconnected issues that cause stress and burnout and people leaving a job. But you know, the, the, the final thing I was going to say, and I would love to hear your thoughts on, on this, is I think lean gives us ways and mindsets of getting more to the root causes of this overburden, physical, cognitive, or emotional overburden, as opposed to um, trying to uh, paper over the harm or like, you know, sending, sending people to resilience training is very popular, at least here in the US. I don't know if that happens in Germany, but I think sending in a, the, the countermeasure of sending an employee to resilience training is almost blaming them for not dealing with the overload when we should instead be improving the system in a way that reduces those overloads and demands. Yeah, yeah. So yes to everything that you said. I would say if you have a good type of resilience training, um, then it it is beneficial and it it is good and advisable to give your uh, employees that time so to really reflect on uh, you know what is doing what is helping me is there beyond my job are there other things that are adding to my stress and where are some levers that I can play with in order to change things up so yes this is good on one hand side again I would I would be mindful about what type of resilience training this is. I would even be cautious of everything or of everyone who calls something a training because what we don't have to do is just dump another bunch of tools on people. Every glossy, glossy magazine is full with tips about how you have to exercise more and eat healthy and sleep better and You know, everybody knows this. What is missing really is the time and the space mm-hmm. to pause and to reflect, you know, just like we do in Lean, just pause and reflect on what am I actually doing here? What's helping me? Tuning into that and then finding those tailored strategies for yourself and starting to make small changes. So, so yes to that. But also, I agree with you. Um, Putting the whole responsibility about, well, this is just how the workplace is today. Why don't you build up your resilience? I like to compare that to, oh, here, we're we're giving you a hand to pull you out of the river. You know, you seem to be drowning, but who threw people into the river in the first place? (laughs) So, and that is where that other part comes in, where we really have to think about Is the way that we have, that we are structuring work, is the way that we're running this organization, is that helpful to the people? And by the way, if it's helpful to the people, it's also helpful to your bottom line for anyone who hasn't noticed that yet. Um, So it needs those two things because 
you can build up your resilience and you can know all the tools and you can do exercise and healthy nutrition all you want. If you come back every Monday morning to find a, how do I say that without a curse word, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but just to find a total mess yeah, and you sure. just have to tidy up behind everyone else. If you have a backlog of how many tasks, if, um, if everybody is frustrated because nobody knows who's doing what and you have conflicting priorities and you have conflicting goals and all of that. I mean, it's a never ending story. So it's, it's both. And, Oh, and if I may, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention that there, there will always be times when things are crazy at work. So just think about the current global situation where there's a war in a country, which triggers all sort of things down the line. Um, so companies having to um, shift their supply chain, where do we get material from? Um, do we have more requests for this type of product, less for that? Uh, all sorts of business contingency plans are being activated. So this sends a company and the workload into overdrive and it happens sometimes. What is really, really important, especially on those times, is to pay extra attention to increasing those job resources that I mentioned, that, are, that is that other more engaging, more motivating um, process that is running next to the demands. So things like, do people know where they stand and whether they are good doing a good job and what they could do better? Do they get social support at work? Are we helping each other out? And do we have a sense of belonging? Do people have a good level of autonomy and flexibility in how they go about their work and how they get it done? Or is everything, you know, like uh, Charlie Chaplin in modern times where you just do <laughs> one thing all of the time and you have to stay in the tech with the machine? And <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay, I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Uh, um you bring up really important points with, um, it's hard to believe that this has all happened and that we're talking about it with, with Putin's invasion of oh. Ukraine, that, that affects, like you said, possibly supply chain and different dynamics. It also affects people. So you mentioned social yeah. support, the need to recognize that there's high anxiety levels, mm -hmm. even for somebody like me, who's halfway around the world um, from Ukraine, there's that that threat hanging over our heads now of, of this all escalating and with nuclear powers involved, um, no, you know, nobody's out of harm's reach, even though there's so much devastation and killing and harm happening in, in Ukraine. So that 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 weighs on people's minds and, and that may uh, keep us from being at our peak performance or somebody who is on our team or somebody who's part of a Kaizen event, you might say, well, you, you you seem a little you you seem distracted or you know there, there's that need to focus on how are we doing as people mm -hmm. not just the tasks at hand. How, it's not really a question, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts um, yeah. on that need for social support of people. It is true. The very least you have to do is to acknowledge it and give some space um, to. Um, to allow to talk about things if people want to. And 
sometimes it might feel this is a complete waste of time if let's say you have a a you have a 30 minute meeting where because there are still projects running somehow business continues to go on um and and you need to get through a certain amount of things and you might think that skipping the fluffy blah blah at the beginning um you know, gives more airspace to the real important technical topics. However, what I have found is the more time you give people to connect, to feel seen and acknowledged, to feel heard, to be able to voice what's on their mind and to feel cared for, you know, if, if you take a genuine interest in how are you doing? Hey, you look really tired. Are you not sleeping well right now? Um, if, if typically it only takes five, there are days it takes 10 or 15 minutes, but eventually, you know, people will feel more relaxed. They feel like, okay, I don't have to hold anything back. I don't have to bottle anything up, which again would take extra energy. And they say, okay, I, we're all good now. Let's focus on those other points that we wanted to discuss. And you still get it all done. So there's absolutely no point in trying to skip over that. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I appreciate what you said about at the very least acknowledge it. It doesn't mean we're going to solve it, yes. uh, but, but acknowledge it, um, get some things off, off your mind, hopefully, or, you know, by, by talking about it a little bit, hopefully provides, um, some relief to, to then move forward. But I think, you know, this makes me think of the concept and the phrase that comes from Toyota, uh, respect for people or translated as respect for humanity. Mm-hmm. There's that recognition, uh, you know, that, that none of us are robots and we're, um, we, we, we get distracted, we get worried, we get anxious. It's hard to just shut off the outside world sometimes when we come to work. And, and that could apply to all sorts of different settings where I think we, we, it helps to, to show a little bit of grace. Um, like you said, just even to ask, you know, it seems like um, you're, you're, you're struggling. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. And you can look at this from an ethical or moral standpoint where you could just say other people matter full stop. And you can look at this even from a scientific standpoint where research has shown again and again in psychology that when we are worried, when we are in fear, then this is our, these are some of our most primal emotions and they override everything. Nobody who feels like that has access to their human capacity of analytical thinking, of creative problem solving, of being innovative of being agile in reacting to demands. Everyone who's in that state is literally as good as a lizard because that's your lizard brain acting. So if you show people you care for them, if you make them feel safe, that triggers a whole other set of, well, hormones to be released, a whole other, you know, much more, they feel soothed, they feel... um, they feel, yeah, like I said, safe. And this makes us calm down and, you know, a new set of neurons can start to fire and wire up and you get access back to all of those great cognitive, emotional resources that you have. So 
yeah, like I said, I'm a scientist. If the data would show that ignoring how people feel and screaming at them if they're not doing well would work, then I might advocate <laughs> for that. However, <laughs> right. it doesn't. It's very right. clear. It's it's yeah. very clear what works. Yeah. And when things don't work, um, I was thinking back you know, a couple of minutes ago when you talked about, um, you know, sometimes when, when, when you see how things are a big mess mm-hmm. and there are times where I feel like cursing because, you know, it's just you think of how to describe the problem and and, and the chaos um, that you see in workplaces when there are not well-designed systems and when people aren't being engaged in improvement. Um, is uh, you know sometimes I, I don't know any German, but sometimes there's a German word that sort of encapsulates a complex idea. Is there a German word that sort of describes something that is a big bleeping mess, if you will? Um, that whether it's a German curse word or not is, I'm just curious how you would say it in German. <laughs> I don't have a German word. It's uh, I have a I have a word that a, that a that a British colleague likes to use, but again, I don't want to make this podcast explicit, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, um, yeah. But the more the more serious point that you raise back to the idea of the connection between if it's good for the team members, if it's good for the employees, it's also good for the bottom line. I, I believe that. Um, I think many of our listeners would. I think part of the challenge, so you, you could look at something like um, freeing up people's time to participate in a Kaizen event. You could view that as a cost or you could view that as an investment. And I think part of the challenge is the short-term cost of the people's time is known and it's immediate. The yeah. benefit might be a prediction. It might be uncertain. It might be down the road. And I, and I think part of the challenge is that even if people see those connections, leaders, I think too often make decisions based on short-term thinking when the, the, the Toyota way principles, principle number one would, would encourage us to make decisions based on the long-term. I'm curious if if you've helped people navigate short-term decision-making versus more long-term decision-making. That's really the holy grail, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I guess. um, So that is one aspect. Um, Unfortunately, the short-term always has the, um, there's some, it has this feel of urgency to it. And we're like really, you know, we're, was so primed to jump at anything that screams at us. Um, and again, occasionally there is, there might be the case if you have to relocate a production from a factory that you have to close in a country where there's a war into another country or into another factory, then that takes priority full stop. So you need, you know, that's very clear. However, if that is not the case and um, you just feel a bit, stingy with your time <laughs> that you want to uh, allow for people to participate in such events, then I I always like to, um, so if, if there's anyone listening who says, man, I really want to see more of that in my company, I'm a huge fan of having a bit of a grassroots approach to that and piloting things, flying under the radar, you know, finding ways where's no one looking right now? Where can we test this out? 
create good results, you know, create our own case studies, if you will, and then bring them back. The most difficult and even also saddest thing, I think, is that you always have to bring results that can be seen on a spreadsheet. It's just most companies, and I apologize if I offend anyone, but they are run by bean counters. And if it doesn't show on your spreadsheet as a uh, as as revenue or as cost, then it doesn't exist. Even though things can be measured and even though things have an impact. So let's say you run a Kaizen event and you see on your spreadsheet, what can you literally see? You can see how many hours did this was into how much of salary that translates into how much uh, other work maybe has piled up. You can also measure down the line the improvement in quality. You can measure that in terms of inventory going down uh, or in cost saved, these kind of things. What is also there, but what doesn't show up on your spreadsheet is the relational energy that builds up is the smooth ways of working in day-to-day operations simply because people now know each other and know how to talk with each other and have a better understanding for each other's perspective and issues. Um, What is also there is that learning that people have because while people might work just on the content bit during the Kaizen event, they also pick up on a meta level, how this is done and how to approach these these types of things. So now they they learned more about their own process. They learned more about how their company functions. They learned more about how to solve problems in a sustainable way. So there's all of that learning and growth, which they take forward and which the company will benefit from. On the other hand side, you know, what are you losing out on if you don't do this? Uh, when, which doesn't show up on a spreadsheet. Again, you might have frustration building up because like, oh, that team doesn't you know, do their bid. And like, why do they never deliver? And why do they always complain? And the other team says, well, whenever they want something from me, they never fill in this form that I give them properly. And so there's all of that friction that you that that is there, but it doesn't show up in your spreadsheet. So it's like you said, it's the short-term versus long-term, but it's also... What do you see in numbers and what else is there that is harmful or beneficial, but that you can't directly measure? Yeah. Good points. And um, back to the, the phrase bean counters, that that might bother somebody. It's not explicit, at least. So that's okay. <laughs> Um, we did t- we did use that phrase. This is going back to, I, I, I looked up episode 126. Back in 2011, I um, was able to interview Bob Lutz from the auto industry, pretty legendary guy. And he had a book out called, uh, the the title of the book was Car Guys versus Bean Counters. So he was trying to make the case that um, too many decisions in the automotive industry were being made on purely financial or or cost-cutting dimensions to the detriment of product and customer not just satisfaction, but customer excitement. Yeah. And look, I'm not suggesting anyone intends to do a bad job. It's just 
how people learned to do business. So if you learn to do business in a different way, and there are there are people around the world who start rethinking on how this works, um, sometimes with ideas that seem outrageous. That one example that comes to mind is that um, I think it's an accounting company where the CEO cut his pay and raised everyone's em- or every employee's pay to 70k a year. You know, oh, was this? Company. I think Dan Price. I yeah, think exactly. was his name at a soft software. It was a software company, I think. Yeah, well, software company. So, you know, this sounds outrageous, and how dare he? And this will never work. And you know, if you're so indoctrinated, and if you grew up knowing those traditional ways of managing a company, sometimes it looks like, especially the biggest companies, there's there's one book. Management 101, and everybody has read this one <laughs> book, and nobody has any new ideas. Uh, yeah. But you know, so it's really not your fault. And also, if you have a massive company to run, then you need to be very measured in the risks you take because you have a lot of people to answer to. And you know, many things can go wrong. So, again, I'm not suggesting that everybody intends to do a bad job. I just wish we could have a bit more of a cultural change. Well, there's the, that that book, you know, uh, <laughs> the the idea of a management 101 book. There's also MBA education. Um, mm-hmm. I have an MBA. You have a PhD in chemistry. If do, do you have an MBA degree? No, I know nothing about economics. <laughs> well, well, and it's not even so much you know economics, but the idea of like I what it, it you're not burdened by mm-hmm. kind of the typical business practices and mindsets that might be taught in an MBA program. So sometimes people, I think, um, similar to what you were saying, um, we, we, we can't fault people for what they've been taught, mm-hmm. for what's been modeled or demonstrated to them. It's difficult to unlearn things. Yes. Like it's almost easier to start your career um, at a company that can teach you the lean management style from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then you don't have the context of trying to change the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, so and and it is really difficult um, for for people, for leaders, for organizations to put behind old habits um, from 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 decades of experience. But um, Nicole, I also want to ask you. you know, um, I, I know you can share some examples of some process improvements that you've done in different professional settings, or at least if there's something that you could share with us. Yeah, one small one was a when I did my green belt project. Uh, this was about um, a process. So it's a company internal process f- uh, within the science area. And, you know, as scientists, you regularly publish peer-reviewed papers in scientific journals. So before you can, when you submit this on behalf of a company, before you can submit it to the paper or to the journal, you would need to approve it and align it internally to make sure, first of all, it meets the company standards. Uh, Second of all, to make sure that everything you want to publish, you can publish because you don't want to, you know, spill out any trade secrets or anything like that. Um, And so that internal process would involve a review committee. And so whoever submitted a, a paper would have to send it to a number of people and then, well, you probably know the tool of a handoff diagram. 
So <laughs> for everybody who doesn't know that is you can draw a circle and you can just put the names of everyone involved in uh, getting this done around just around the circle. And then I took the time for, for one submission to follow the paper trail. <laughs> and I would just draw lines between which people, and it was a complete spider web, or not even that structured, you know, it was just like lines and lines and lines and lines. So there was just so much email ping pong, deadlines were missed, you had to remind people multiple times, all of these kind of things. So it just wasn't very efficient. And the scientists who wanted to get the paper out were very frustrated about it. And that was one thing that we looked at in terms of, okay, let's map out the process. What steps are we following? Which ones are useful? Are they in the right order or should we organize it differently? And then, so Again, because it was a green belt project, the point for me was more to learn to apply the methodology well and to work with a team on that rather than have uh, one millionth in savings. Um, so that that was one thing. Or another thing would be having a a finance process when you know with the um, when at so once a year at fiscal year end, there's a ton of accounting to do and getting the books straight. Um, and that is a necessary work. But uh, that team had a problem because then every year, and that was around summertime, they could bet on spending one or two or even three weekends working and getting this all done. And so we, together with the team, we looked at, well, what's happening here? You know, where's all that work coming from? And does it really have to be like this? And so one of the main causes of this work was that the input data that they were getting wasn't clean, as in there were um, items in there that they worked with that just didn't have to be there. And so they could have been cleaned out by the you know, person in the previous step uh, of the process and that already reduced the workload and gaining more visibility of certain things and access to other information and data. So it's, it's sometimes I think about, man, maybe sometimes we just, we don't even need lean tools. We just need to put people in a room and get them talking. <laughs> that is a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and those sounds like exam, those sound like examples of improvements that had benefit to the business benefit to the people doing the work. And these things can't always be described clearly in terms of dollars yes. and ROI. Sometimes they're just things that um, are, are worthwhile doing. And maybe there's an indirect effect where, let's say, maybe these people who are publishing research and publishing journals, if they're happier, maybe they're more likely to stay with the company. Mm -hmm. And that has a financial benefit, but it's harder to... It's different than saying uh, we reduced uh, material spend by $400,000 by making a redesign to the product. Like that might be very easily, clearly measured of the cause and effect, um, but, but that's not always the case. So one other thing I want to talk about, Nicole, um, before we wrap up is um, you, you mentioned earlier when there's, when there's stress, um, unclear roles and responsibilities are often a, a cause if, if uh, maybe even getting closer to a root cause. So I wonder if you can share some of the lessons that you've learned about recognizing that problem and, uh, and making things better. 
Yeah. So collaborating well with others is a challenge sometimes, especially if you speak different languages, not in terms of literal language, but just in terms of how your brains work and what your normal task is about. So for me as a scientist working in product innovation and being very, you know, technical, still creative, but also technical about how the formula works and how it interacts with the packaging and how it's made and what flavors to select and all of that. And then if you work with the marketing department who are in a completely different sphere and who couldn't care less about viscosity, you know, they, and it's very natural. So that is one way where we need to collaborate well, but especially when it comes to roles and responsibilities. So one thing that was a conf confusion for me was um, back in, like I said, in product innovation. Um, so we had the innovation team, which were making, who were making the prototypes in order to say, okay, here now, this is our product. Here's your, here's our specification that we uh, intend for that. And then hand it over to the <clears throat> realization or manufacturing department to make it. Um, and because that team that I was working in was young and it was first emerging you know both teams there they weren't existing before so there was there were no established processes there were no established handover points and that was that was at times especially when the deadline approached that was at times really frustrating to um you know if uh, certain raw materials had to be ordered from a supplier certain ingredients and because, you know, well, I, in the lab, I would only need sample sizes. I would get them for free from the supplier. But then in order to run production, you would need a lot more of them or a lot more of that, of that ingredient. And then, so who's placing that order? So far, this was, quote unquote, my supplier. So are you going to send, uh, are you going to send an order? Have you ordered it? You know, the lead, you know, the lead time is for weeks to get that ingredient. You know, we want to run production trials in three weeks. So why haven't you placed the order? And, you know, this sounds silly, but if that adds up for multiple different things and um, at best you have confusion and frustration because work isn't getting done and you're not clear. At worst, you start getting turf wars because people are encroaching on each other's quote unquote territory. So getting really clear on what will you do, what will I do, and how do we contribute to each other's work to enable each other is so, so important. Um, yeah. It is. Um, it, it's very important. And I, you know, I think to summarize some of the things you know, you've been talking about um, and we, we've talked about in this episode is taking action to reduce chaos, means breaking down silos and, and, and creating clarity, um, among other things that leads to less stress, less burnout, which then flows through to benefits to the bottom line. That's, that's, that's my summary of it. Um, any, anything else you would add to the summary of all of the points here today? No, just that other people matter. And I guess this, this is the, yeah, the, the main 
guiding point for me always to also when things get heated to not you know lash out or blame anyone and just know we're all in the same boat and we're all here trying to do our best yeah to 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 get beyond ourselves to thinking about others yes well, um, Nicole has uh, a download that we'll be able to share. This will be in the show notes. Um, how to reduce stress and burnout in your team. Very important topic. And um, we encourage people to go look for that. So thank you for offering that up. Nicole, is there anything else that you would want to say about that download? Um, yeah, well, I call it a no fluff, immediately applicable guide. So, you know, oftentimes when we get downloads on the internet, they're very, very shallow and very generic. This one isn't. Is I put a ton of effort into creating it. It has self-assessments you can do as to, to drill down and understand what are the factors that contribute maybe to stress. And how am I set up in my team to um, with the factors that cause or help motivation and engagement and practical strategies and tips on how you can start working on them. So really encourage everyone to download it. Yeah. Well, thank you for offering that. Um, again, our guest today has been Dr. Nicole Chirska. Um, her podcast, again, is called Better Work. Um, that's probably a better title than calling the podcast No Fluff. <laughs> it's a no fluff podcast though right it is <laughs> so thank you again for having me as uh, the first guest there and encourage people to check that out better work and again nicole's website i'll link to this in uh, the show notes nicolecheerska.com so nicole thank you for being here today i'll say thank you i guess i'll, I'll say cheers with my coffee mug and cheers to you. Uh, your weekend starts now. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Mark. This was fun. Yeah, it was. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.